guys, I'm Mandy B. Anderson, and you're listening to the She Who Overcomes podcast. I'm the chief creative officer, a motivational speaker, and a life and business coach at a company called Rayma Team. I'm also thriving in the face of a life-threatening illness called cystic fibrosis. This weekly podcast is a series of real-life stories and conversations meant to encourage you with hope and more importantly, equip you with action steps to transform your life, your career, and your relationships. So grab your coffee and let's hang out. All right, Overcomers, before we dive into a brand new episode, I want to talk to you about something super important. Have you ever tried to keep up with a gratitude journal, but felt like it was kind of stale? Something that I hear over and over again from brand new clients is that they have a hard time finding five things to be thankful for. And really, this can be a really challenging exercise when you don't already have that attitude of gratitude. So we have made it super simple for you here at Rayma Team. We actually turned what used to be a 30-day journal that you had to purchase, we turned it into a free download. That's right. You don't have to wait for the journal to show up at your door. You can actually go and download it and start using it right now. In fact, our private clients have loved this content so much that they went into the coaching vault and started devouring it before I ever made it part of their homework assignment. So here's how it works, okay? You set a timer for five minutes every day and answer one question a day for 30 days. That's it. I guarantee you're going to find things to be grateful for that you've never thought of before. So you can go get your download instantly at www.raymateam.com forward slash gratitude builder. Again, that's www.raymateam.com forward slash G-R-A-T-I-T-U-D-E-B-U-I-L-D-E-R raymateam.com forward slash gratitude builder. I seriously cannot wait to hear how your outlook improves when you apply this gratitude builder to your life. Seriously, you have to come and tell me, okay? So go get your download right now and let's grab our coffee and dive into a brand new episode of the podcast for this week. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the She Who Overcomes podcast. Today, I am going to start the first of what I hope to be a continuing series throughout our time together on and off. I'm calling it a book club series. So years ago, I used to think that I was the type of person who did not like to read anything but fiction. Like growing up, I would love to get lost in fiction books and series. Like I was a big fan of like the Babysitter's Club books or the Sweet Valley Twins and Sweet Valley High books. I even got into R.L. Stein books and some Christopher Pike books, like those mystery murder suspense ones for young adults. 
And so reading has always been something that I've done, but it wasn't until about a decade ago that I really started challenging myself to read books that would grow my skills when it came to my mindset and my actual skills in business and in life and in faith. And I still remember the very first book that I ever bought that was considered a personal growth book. It was by John Maxwell, and it was called Talent is Never Enough. And here's the funny thing about this. I never actually finished that book, but I do remember the aha moments that I read in the chapters that I did finish. Because all my life, I had thought that talent would carry me. And that's not how it it works. If you're talented, that's great, but you still have to work at it. And so over the last decade, I've really become an avid reader. Now, I've had times in my life where I read a ton of personal growth books and no fiction. I've had times in my life in the last decade where I read a ton of fiction books and no personal growth books or business books or anything like that. And this year, I I had a really big goal of reading a lot of different books, and I failed miserably, partly because some things were happening in my life that kind of uh, brought up a lot of emotions. And when that happens, I tend to hide out in fiction. But I'm back at it. I'm picking up the books that I had planned to read, and I just devoured a book in less than two weeks. Seriously, devoured it. And so that's the book that I want to talk to you about today in this episode. And then next week, I'm going to be sharing with you another book that I read this year from a fictional standpoint that had a lot of nuggets in it for life, even though it was fictional. So the book I'm going to be sharing with you today is a book by one of my favorite authors. Like I would be tickled pink if I could ever sit down and have a conversation with her, Brene Brown. And the book is Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. Before I dive into all of the nuggets of wisdom that I got from this book, and I'm not even going to share all of them, I'm just going to highlight a few of them. I want to share with you a tip that I learned years and years ago from another book by John Maxwell about how to organize your thoughts in a book. So if you open any of my personal growth books, you're going to notice that the very first page uh, behind you know, the page that's empty that says nothing, it's just a filler page, it's going to be filled with handwriting. And it's probably going to say things like how many pages per day to read it, to get it done in 30 days. It's probably going to tell you some page numbers and some thoughts behind it. And that's a tip that I learned from John Maxwell years ago. And he said, if you're a writer or a speaker or somebody who wants to refer to what you're reading and easily find the big aha moments that you want to remember and refer to, then write the page number in the front of the book and, and write down a quick little excerpt of what it is so that you know when you're flipping through and you see something that's underlined, you can easily find the things that were really things you want to refer to. Because if you're like me and like a lot of my friends that read books, you might underline a lot of things, which is great until you realize I've nearly underlined the whole book. So now how do I separate the inspirational from the tangible 
advice that I want to apply and refer to. Well, this is how you do it, okay? So at the beginning of this book, the very first page that I wrote down that I want to refer to is page 13. And I wrote in parentheses, let me tell you what it meant to me. So page 13 is this story that Brene talks about where she tells this story about trying out for a drill team in high school. And she didn't make it. And she tells this story of how that that experience not only made her feel like she didn't belong anywhere at school, but the reaction that she got from her family when she didn't make it made her feel like she didn't belong at home. And here's what she writes. She wrote, My drill team story is one that's easy to dismiss as unimportant in the larger scheme of what's going on in the world today. I can already see the hashtag first world problems showing up. But let me tell you what it meant to me. I don't know if this was true or if it was the story I told myself in that silence, but that became the day I no longer belonged in my family. So I underlined the words, let me tell you what it meant to me. And I wrote a note on the margin of the entire rest of the the page. And it says, wow, I'm choked up at this sentence. Because how many times do we belittle what an experience means to somebody? And by doing so, we deny belonging. We stop the opportunity for growth and connection. Wow, think about that. How many times do we hear somebody trying to connect with us and they say something? And instead of us saying, hey, tell me more about that, I can tell it's, it's something that's really hitting you emotionally. Like, tell me more. Instead of saying that, we say something like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. It's something you should get over. I had things happen like that to me all the time, too. It's just part of life. How many times do we do that? And, and when we do that, you guys, we close off any opportunity for further connection because what we're ultimately telling them is we don't hear you. We don't want to know what it meant to you. Let's keep things fluffy. That's what I got from that part of the book. So just the other day, I was having coffee with my dear friend, Laura, who was one of our guests on the podcast. And we had decided that we were going to have a little discussion about this particular book because she had listened to it on audiobook a lot. She had ordered the book and it had just arrived. And I was telling her how I devoured it. And so we had an amazing discussion about this. But what we did that day is we actually applied what we learned. We had an amazing three, almost four-hour conversation in this little coffee shop because we were willing to listen to each other and hear what certain experiences meant to each of us. And you guys, how often do we miss connection just because of that? Because we're not willing to find out what things mean to somebody else. We would rather sit there and insert our opinion, insert our thoughts, make ourselves look smarter. And when we do that, we shut off connection. We shut off that deep connection with other people. So I want to encourage you, whether you read this book or not, obviously I would love for you to read it. I think you would probably get a lot out of it. 
But I want to encourage you more than anything, be the type of person who, first of all, asks yourself, what did that experience mean to me? And then rise up and be the type of person to ask somebody else, what did that experience mean to you? Tell me more about that. Okay, moving on. So the next page that I wanted to share with you is on page 22. She tells this story of when she met one of her favorite authors, like one of her idols, and it was Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou gave Brene Brown some amazing advice that, honestly, as I read it, it made me choke up because I needed to really extend that advice to myself in that moment. So here's what she wrote. She kept holding my hand and placed her other hand on top of mine and said, you're doing important work. Keep doing it. Keep talking about your work. Don't stop and don't let anyone get in your way. Later on, she goes on to say, then she squeezed my hands hard and said, do not be moved, Brene. Do not be moved. Brene goes on to write, On the next page, it was as if she bundled up all the courage I'll ever need in my entire life and handed it to me. Rarely do you have the gift of knowing you're inside a moment that will be part of what defines you. Okay, my question to you guys from this is, first of all, do you need to encourage yourself to keep doing what you're doing? to keep doing the work that matters? Have you lost your spark because maybe the battle has been longer than you thought or you're just weary from going after that dream and you didn't realize what it would take to get there? If so, I want to say I totally understand. I'm right there with you, which is probably why this quote hit me so deeply in my heart. But I want to encourage you to do not be moved. I also want to encourage you to ask yourself, when's the last time that you realized you were inside of of a moment that would define you? I've had a few of those moments in my lifetime. And honestly, I think the one that is the most obvious to me was when we had our apartment fire. I knew that moment was a gift, even though it was a hard, traumatic event. I knew that the things that I would glean from that would matter in the future and impact other people if I could just make sure that I didn't squander what I was going through. I I knew that. It didn't make it easier, but it did make it worth it. It made me have a different perspective of going through that season. So wherever you're at in life right now, I want to encourage you to kind of do an assessment of where you're at and how many times you've looked back and realized you were in a moment that would define you. Another moment in my life that I knew was a gift that would define me was running the half marathon. I knew that that day would define me. I knew training for that would define me. So take a moment to think about that. If we become the type of people who can have the perspective of looking 
for those moments that are defining us, that rarity of the gift of that moment could become something that happens more often in our life. Okay, the next page that I wrote down at the beginning of the the book that I wanted to share with people, or at least remember for myself, is on page 51. And I wrote, Like-Minded Thoughts and Loneliness. So in this chapter, she's talking about factions, the faction system. If you're a fan of the Divergent series, you totally know what faction systems are. Um, And Brene Brown totally read those books and is a fan of them as well. So not unlike the Hunger Games where, you know, all the districts are are set up in different places, um, factions are a way to divide society. And in the Divergent series, the factions are actually separated by personality traits more than by like regions. It's personality traits. And they have this saying that factions are um, bigger than blood. And so, and I totally botched that, but that's kind of, you know, you get the gist of it. They put factions before blood. And so they put other personalities that are like them, basically the people that are like them, they put them above blood and family. And it creates some some interesting problems and some interesting dynamics that she kind of refers to is already happening in our society. And so I want to, um, I just want to read this to you from page 51 of Braving the Wilderness. At the same time that sorting is on the rise, so is loneliness. According to Bishop, in 1976, less than 25% of Americans lived in places where the presidential election was a landslide. In other words, we lived next door to and attended school and worshipped with people who held different beliefs than ours. We were ideologically diverse. In contrast, in 2016, 80% of U.S. counties gave either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton a landslide victory. Most of us no longer even live near people who are all that different from us in terms of political and social beliefs. Now let's compare these numbers to what's happening in the realm of loneliness. In 1980, approximately 20% of Americans reported feeling lonely. Today, it's more than double that percentage. And this is not just a local issue. Rates of loneliness are rapidly increasing in countries around the world. Here's the part that I underlined, you guys. She goes on to say, Clearly, selecting like-minded friends and neighbors and separating ourselves as much as possible from people whom we think of as different from us has not delivered that deep sense of belonging that we are hardwired to crave. I wrote a note on the side of this that that I want to share with you because, you know, I've always heard birds of a feather flock together. And the thing that I started to ponder as I read this is, is it good or bad to have like-minded individuals around you? Like, what does that mean to have like-minded people? Because in the research of what she's she's doing here, of researching loneliness and shame and and all of that, She's finding that people feel more lonely the more that they are surrounding themselves with people that have the same beliefs as them. 
That's really what she's getting to. And so what I wrote down is that maybe surrounding yourself with like-minded people is more about surrounding yourself with growth-minded people. People who are willing to look at things differently. People who are willing to learn. People who are willing to be teachable and not just teachable from understanding a different skill set and learning that, but teachable from the point of view of learning about other people's lives. Maybe that's what we should be doing when we're trying to be hanging out with like-minded people, is looking for the people who value other people, no matter what they think or believe or how they live their life. Maybe we need to look at being like-minded in our growth-mindedness instead of in our beliefs and our politics and all of that. That's what I was kind of wrestling with as I read through this. Something to think about. Okay. I have two final thoughts on, on this book. So on page 128, she says this. Not enough of us know how to sit in pain with others. Worse, our discomfort shows up in ways that can hurt people and reinforce their own isolation. Later on, she goes on to say that the problem is that we don't show up for enough of these experiences of deep pain and deep joy. We clearly need them, but it's vulnerable to lean into that kind of shared joy and pain. We armor up. We shove our hands into our pockets during the concert, or we roll our eyes at the dance, or we put our headphones on rather than get to know somebody on the train. One of the things that I have really learned in the last decade of my life is how to sit in pain with others. And I recently had a coaching client ask me, how do you develop the character trait of empathy? And the, the short answer to that is you learn to listen. You learn to not only listen to other people, but get, get comfortable in the uncomfortableness of your own emotions. That's the short answer. But the long answer is that it doesn't happen quickly. It takes time. This is why I'm so very thankful for the experience of losing our home to an apartment fire. It's why I'm so very thankful for the experience of going through anxiety and depression and the worst that cystic fibrosis has to offer, even though it was my choice to stop my medication and, and go down that road. I'm thankful for it because on the other side of it, I became a more empathetic person. Not apathetic, empathetic. I used to be the type of person who would tell people, just hurry up and get over things. Like, why are you dealing with this? We got stuff to do. Let's, let's stop dealing with the feelings and just focus on the work. That's who I was a decade ago. And then I had the beautiful gift of going through some things and I had no choice but to face my feelings. I had no choice but to realize that 
there is no such thing as just moving on and getting over it. That's avoidance. When it comes down to your mental health and your emotions, that outlook does not help you. It does not serve you well. It does not create empathy. So if you want to be an empathetic leader, an empathetic person, you have to be willing to wrestle with your own feelings first, because then you're going to know what it's like to be able to sit in pain with other people because you won't be uncomfortable with pain. That's really what it comes down to. Sitting, what does she say here? She says, knowing how to sit in pain with others. Not enough of us know how to do that. And sitting in pain with others means you have to be okay not having the right thing to say. You have to be okay sitting in the silence. You have to be okay with the sadness, the darkness of it, knowing that's not where you're always going to be, but knowing how precious it is to have a friend sit with you and say, hey, it's okay if you're not okay right now. I don't expect anything else from you. I just want to be here for you, even if that means we say nothing. I'm here for you. That is a gift when you can do that. And I know what it's like to experience that because I had friends who did that for me. And because I had friends that did that for me, they taught me how to do that for others, how to do that for them, how to show up when your your family member is going through um, some challenging health issues, how to sit with them when they're just crying about it because it's hard and they don't know what to do about it, how to sit there with your best friend who might be going through a really challenging time in her marriage or a really challenging time in her health, how to help your spouse talk through the pain they might be experiencing because they have nobody else to talk to about what's happening at work or what's happening in just their lives. That's empathy. Being able to sit in that pain and listen well. That is an amazing gift. And Brene's right. Not enough of us know how to sit in that pain. And a lot of times our discomfort does show up and it makes it worse for the other person, whether we mean to or not. So I want to encourage you to be the type of people that can sit in pain. Be the type of people that get comfortable with the awkwardness of your own feelings so that you can show up for others. Because at the end of the day, what really matters in this life is connection, true belonging. That's what really matters. We can't take anything else with us when we leave this earth. But those experiences can make or break somebody else's soul. The last quote I want to leave with you from Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown is on page 156. And I wrote down that this is a great empathy quote. It says this, I've learned that the more we diminish our own pain, 
or rank it compared to what others have survived, the less empathetic we are to everyone. You don't have to deny your own pain to find empathy for other people. You don't. You don't have to belittle what you've gone through to have empathy for others. You can still hold space for what you've experienced in life, for the painful, hard things you've experienced, and hold space for somebody else's pain at the same time. You don't have to deny one to show up for the other. That's not how it works. In fact, the more that you deny your pain, the less empathetic you are. And the research is showing that. That's what Brene has found. I want to encourage you to pick up this book. She says on the very last page, of all the calls to courage that I've asked readers to answer over the last decade, braving the wilderness is the hardest. It can hurt the most. But as the quote from Maya Angelou reminds us, it's the only path to liberation. You are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. The price is high. The reward is great. I'll leave you with this. There will be times when standing alone feels too hard, too scary, and we'll doubt our ability to make our way through the uncertainty. Someone somewhere will say, don't do it. You don't have what it takes to survive the wilderness. And this is when you reach deep into your wild heart and remind yourself, I am the wilderness. Oh, you guys, seriously, this is my easily one of my top favorite books. And I think it's because it came at a time when I was really craving deep connection. You know, when Laura and I had coffee the other day and we talked about this, um, I was just sharing with her some of the hard things emotionally that I've gone through this year. And none of it is, is um, none of it is the, the um, type of traumatic things I've walked through before that anybody else would notice. And I think that's why it was maybe a little bit surprising to me that I was going through it because I didn't expect some of these hard things to hit me so hard. Like I thought that I was beyond that already. But really, it's just another layer of, of my own journey of walking the wilderness at times. And so we talked about this and she said, do you think that some of the things that you've been wrestling with is that connection with yourself and that connection with other people because you've, you, you know, it's all together and you feel like, you know, maybe you're unsure of, of yourself right now. And that was such good insight because that's really where it was. I was, I was really questioning my work. I was questioning my, uh, you know, my own beliefs in the the work that I had been doing over the last five six years and the content that I had written and the the beliefs that I had. I was questioning all of it because of what somebody said that was quite hurtful. And it made me doubt. It made me um, not sure of a lot of things. And so I kind of, I avoided 
connection and I avoided speaking up because I didn't want to get hurt again. That's really what it came down to. Wow, this is vulnerable. I did not expect to say this, but somebody probably needs to hear it. So I think that's why this book felt so life-giving to me. It felt like coming up for air. I think this is why I devoured it so fast because I totally identified with it. And I knew going into 2019, like I just had this feeling that 2019 was going to be a lonelier year for some reason. I wasn't exactly sure why, but I just kind of felt it. It was, call it an intuition or a spiritual nudge, um, maybe discernment from God, I'm not sure, but I just felt it. And I expressed it to a couple of my close friends throughout the year. And this book, you guys, has been sitting on my shelf since last November. I think I got it for Christmas last year. Um, we always do Christmas early on one side of the family. And so I think I got it for Christmas last November and I had meant to read it like this spring. And I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And now was exactly the time that I needed it. So if you felt lonely, if you have felt like you're on a search to truly belong and truly connect, then my friend, I encourage you to go pick up this book, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. May it encourage you. May it challenge you. And more than anything, may it give you the courage to stand up in your own wilderness and not be moved. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. I'll be back with another episode for you next week. But for now, if you would take a moment and write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that would mean the world to me. I also want to give a shout out to my very handsome husband, Mr. Nate Anderson, for editing this podcast. For more information, go to www.raymateam.com. That's www.raymateam.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram under the name Ms. Mandy B. Anderson. Oh, and one last thing. I hope you heard something today that gave you the courage to rise up and overcome that thing that you've been facing. You're stronger than you think. I'll see you next week.